Welcome back to our reading of Takeout. We last left our narrator running for their lives, running for the door, running. Chapter 7, Running Around Like an Asshole. The gun was my light in the dark. I was squeezing it so tight the thing felt as if it were a part of my hand. The image of the old man dropping from my shot kept flashing in my mind. I couldn't help but wonder if he survived the bullet. I've never fired a gun. Strange that my first time using one would be at someone. He was probably so drunk he didn't feel it. Or was he laying there in pain now? This was all Pete's fault. Keeping a watchful eye for the doctor and the crazed family, I knew I needed to find Rupert's room. Money or not, I needed to get my pants. I needed my driver's license and my keys. Luckily, Quick Job had a strict privacy policy. You get a job slip, no paperwork, no questions asked, no trace. Anonymous. I'd leave that madhouse and they'd never know where to find me. The trouble, however, was remembering where I was to even get to that room. We took a lot of turns from the dining room to the smoking room. How many turns was it? Was it two lefts and a right, or was it a left, then some straights, then a right? Or was I remembering backwards, rights, then lefts? I took too many new turns while trying to remember the old turns to get back to the smoking room to start over. It was frustrating. Claustrophobic thoughts sprouted doubtful shadows over my waning optimism. I took the jacket off and left it. It was slowing me down. I wasn't seeing anything that looked familiar. Most everything was just scaring me. Every turn, I'd see a vase or a statue and jump, thinking it was the doctor or that maniac Gloria. Thankfully, I never pulled the trigger at any point, calling attention to my location. I just ran aimlessly through that labyrinth of halls, hoping I'd soon wake up. Running and panting and then stomping. There she was. The Red Woman. But was she there? Maybe I was losing it. Was she behind the whole thing, I wondered? Was the building a spiderweb? Was I a bug? Something compelled me to approach her. I don't know why, but I did. She was still smiling. When I got close, I noticed she was quite beautiful. Demon wasn't really my type, mind you, still. Something warm filled my gut that confused me, made me question everything. Aside from my present hunger, that, and I didn't question my desire to flee. I even thought about asking her for help, but I decided against it. Best not to talk to demons, if that's what she was. Turning a corner and there she was again. Surely this was just stress. A hungry mind pushed beyond its limits. I walked to her, ready to speak, ready to ask her what she was. Possibly reach out and see if I could touch her. Maybe ask her for the salt shaker back. Before I could find the words, a phone rang. And then another. I could hear them ringing from several directions. With my mouth opened, a question hanging silently on my lips, I held my tongue again. I wasn't ready for whatever she might have to say. I ran to the ringing. The red woman kept her smile on me as I slipped away. 
I recognized the paintings in the next hall, the palm trees, the phones. I turned a corner and sure enough there I was, back at the dining room. The naked man was still in his chair, expressionless. The red woman, back in her seat as well, still smiling at me. My mouth again opened to speak, but nothing came out. I just turned and walked the way back to Rupert's room with my jaw hanging. What could I have said in that situation? What do you even call that situation? I just wanted Kung Pao. If I kept seeing her after my victory meal, I'd consider discussing it with a therapist. Into the foyer and up the stairs, my heart was shivering with each step I took. The wood was creaking under my feet, calling out to my deranged hosts to come knock the demon out of my skull. Each step screaming, here I am. I couldn't soften my feet. I was too afraid to slow down. I ran into Rupert's room and was met with a frying pan. A clean swipe across my temple and I fell to the ground disoriented. The gun fell ahead of me and I moved to crawl towards it, my vision splitting as my eyes tried to realign through the pain that spun around them. Feet scampered past and kicked the gun under the bed. I rolled over to see Gloria in tears, her makeup running down her face, her lip trembling as she asked, Who is she? Who? I pushed myself away from her, pushed myself along the floor, trying to ignore the pain she had just bashed into my skull. She continued, crying out, There is someone else, I know it. You're ashamed of me, of us. I struggled to respond, calling her crazy, telling her again I was not Rupert. Leave me alone and fuck off, I told her. For the love of God, please stop. Stop, she did not. Instead, she pulled out a knife from her ankle. It was a cruel-looking blade with a nasty curve, a device forged with ill intent. She wept out more, pleading, Oh, Rupert, we were so beautiful. A romance for the ages. She held the blade high as her eyes turned to murder. My heart leapt out of my mouth and out of the room. I could hear it thumping down the old staircase and starting my car. Then it drove off. Readying myself for death, I called her a sick, disturbed woman. Told her again I was not her brother. You're sick and you're twisted, I said. Keeping the Kung Pao close in my heart, I demanded my fifty dollars. Telling her to leave me be and torture herself. The horror in her reaction told me I would never come close to my takeout victory. I was ashamed for believing I had lost. My life finally started flashing before my eyes, only it was just showing me the memories I had had with Chinese takeout. It was a beautiful montage of delicious moments. I knew then it was not death coming for me, this vision. It was my takeout talking to me, telling me not to give up. It sensed my love, and it was then I knew it loved me too. Standing above me with the dagger raised into the air, the blade staring me down with its sinister tip, this was not my end. Gloria closed her eyes and screamed forth a battle cry that took years off my life, it was so callous. The visions of takeout filled my spirit with courage. Embracing the sudden fervor, I took advantage of her blind moment and kicked the drunk lunatic in the shin as hard as I could. This snapped her knee back the wrong way, and her battle cry turned into a death rattle as she fell to the floor. I wasted no time. I dragged myself under the bed and grabbed the gun. 
Coming out the other side, I snatched my pants, threw them over my shoulder, and ran for the door. The gun aimed at Gloria. As I passed, she reached out from her crippled heap like a broken cat batting at a flashlight's dance on a wall. She sobbed out wet and desperate. Rupert, my love, don't go! Her twisted heart bled after me with no relent, begging me, begging Rupert. I might have felt sympathy for her had she not have been so scary. Her pain certainly was genuine. But so was her insanity. Running into the hall, I was met with another frying pan. A clean swipe to my other temple, evening out the pain. I collapsed to the floor and the gun escaped me once more, sliding down the hall towards the staircase. Gloria's sister was standing above me adjusting her wig, speaking as if everything happening was normal, telling me to calm down, telling me she was here to help me. She called me darling, called me Rupert. Wouldn't shut up about the demon. I struggled to my knees, sort of remaining conscious. Once upright, I just agreed with her. Anything to stop her from striking me again. I leaned against the wall for support, fumbling with the urge to bite the woman's nose off. Not that I had the strength in that moment to summon any lunging or biting. I needed to play along with the drunk until my headache gave me my eyes back. Right down the stairs and out the door. That's all I needed to manage. She grabbed my armpits to help me stand. Leaning in to see my eyes, she smiled and spoke this foul breath of nonsense into my sinuses. It woke me up. My eyes started to focus on hers. Two beady, boozed, glazed, soulless little bastards, brown as manure and dead as stones. Scary dead. I wanted to spit in them, I was so afraid. My legs started to agree with me again as the woman turned me towards the stairs. A few guided steps forward and I would be ready to escape. I'd sprint for the gun and be free. If only it were so simple. Perched at the top of the staircase stood a big murderous boulder. It was the doctor. And in his hands was a very large and extremely frightening shotgun. I ducked at the sight of it and he fired. The thunder struck the drunk woman in her stomach, lifting her off her feet. Groaning out her last breath with a mouthful of blood and wine, she crashed to the floor. The doctor pumped a fresh shell into the chamber as he bent his brow, asking the woman if she was okay. She didn't respond. I was jumping into the nearest room, pulling the door shut behind me, the doctor chasing me with more thunder. His shot punched the door back, forcing me onto the floor. The blast had sent burning splinters from the door into my knuckles. Picking at the shrapnel, I stood up and saw a startled Japanese man without any pants. He had a shirt and a tie, rubber mouse ears on his cap, a big camera draped around his neck, his cock and balls exposed but resting, black socks strapped in place with those sock suspender things. We were in what appeared to be a guest room. Sitting at the edge of a bed was a man playing a flute. He was a tall, gray man with a sort of blue tint to his hair and a very lazy right eye. He was wearing orange silk pajama bottoms, and a gold chain hung over his very hairy and very nude chest. The doctor stepped into the room, pumping another shell into the chamber, ready to discharge the demon from my dome. Lucky for me, the sight of the tall gray man abruptly altered his motions. Propping his gun over his shoulder, 
he spoke with a warm smile. Mr. Murdoch, sorry for the noise, uh, this is Rupert D. Martin. He owns the property. Mr. Murdoch rose to his feet and addressed to me with a very dainty voice. Pleased to meet you, Rupert. He bowed like a gentleman courting me to a ballroom dance, head down, back arched, his right hand dangling out for me to take. And like that he remained. The man with his berries present aimed his camera to snap a pic of the greeting. The doctor, grinning beside me almost catatonic, drool bubbling up around his lips where his teeth were showing. Everyone seemed distant, distracted, waiting for the cameraman to say cheese, perhaps. Kung Pao, my long-lost friend, hold your sweet and sour breath. I took this opportunity to test out the hardwood floors. I jumped and slid on my belly, soaring right through the doctor's legs into the hall. The doctor tried to sight me as I slipped away and he shot a hole in between his feet. The floor must have been freshly polished. My speed was breathtaking. I couldn't slow down and I smashed into the wall across the hallway. I scurried up in a flash, tangling with the revolver. Hearing the doctor pump another shell into the chamber of his deadly boomstick had me leaning my vision to see him aiming my way. I choked and stumbled over myself, trying to dodge his intentions. Thunder roared from his hands. I yelped, lost my footing, and fell. The gunshot spread, gnawed away the top step with a fierce bite just as I slipped away. I tumbled down the steps, juggling the revolver, bits of wood from the blast chasing alongside me. I said ouch out loud a few times. Bouncing down the staircase on my chest, I tried to hold my head up. My body, like an unmanned sled, met the foyer floor with a brutal thud. I made a funny sound when I hit, my chest meeting the ground, face following right after, nose taking a blunt whack, pushing a pressure into my eyes that felt as though it would pop them both right out of their sockets. They'd roll along the floor and look back my way just in time for me to see the doctor aiming his dreaded blaster up for my final breath. Fighting the pain, I flipped onto my back and raised the revolver up the stairs. The doctor appeared, his gun at the ready. I fired. He fired. My bullet hit the ceiling above him as his dug into the floor next to my face with a furious punch. Another pump was followed by another mighty roar. The foyer became a shooting range. Me, the target. The floor exploded around me as I crawled away in a rainstorm of wood and dust. He fired away. Pump and roar. Pump and roar. Rupert, he shouted. I just want to help you. The doctor's shots led me in the opposite direction of the front door. I wasn't going to turn around. I only had three bullets left and pain vibrating every part of my body. Somehow, my pants managed to stay scarfed around my shoulders. I tossed them aside, stuffing my wallet in Rupert's fancy slacks, along with my car keys. Sprinting through the halls, I took a left, took a right, took a left. I must have passed thirty doors before I finally entered one. I was hoping it would lead outside. It didn't. It was another large room, big surprise. Mounted on the walls were the front halves of animals. Lions and zebras and deer, those sorts of things. All of which were alive and strangely content. And standing on a small stepladder was a bald man, staring at me in a penguin flap suit, feeding the animals grass from a large bag he had in the middle of the room. We shared a look and I told him to carry on. I closed the door and continued my run through the maddening labyrinth. The further I ran, the more my surroundings seemed to mimic my actions. 
I passed a series of paintings depicting a man running. Each painting showed him further along in speed, each painting becoming more and more of an expression. Wild brushstrokes dragged out in a rush of the artist's wrists, running with my very own desperate haul. Slightly out of breath, I stopped running. I put my hands on my knees and let my head hang a bit. When I straightened up to commence with the running, I shook my eyes at the canvas I had stopped in front of. It was a painting of a man standing on nothing. Looking down at an empty space, he mysteriously found himself floating above. As I examined the painting closer, I saw his attire was frightfully similar to mine. He even seemed hungry. Just as the face in the painting appeared to notice me staring, I heard a voice calling out for Rupert. At the far end of the hall, the doctor was running my way. How the hell did he catch up to me? I must have been taking too many turns, running circles. Picking up my legs, I cut down the adjacent hall. I jumped into a room, first kicking open the entry across from it in hopes it would lure the large man in the wrong direction. The room I entered was mostly fuzzy. Everywhere I looked there were furs, large racks lined with wild skins from creatures from every corner of the planet. Lions and tigers and bears and things I couldn't name. The furs hung ready to be thumbed through and selected for whatever one used large sheets of fur for. Rows upon rows of furs with no set path around any of it. Walking deep into the room, feeding my way through the display of furry sheets, I discovered an old man with a long white beard sleeping in a chair at a tiny desk. Along with a tiny green desk lamp, there was a very large book catalog to the sun and back with all the furs in the room. The old man's fingers were stained in ink from the swell his pen was currently resting. He was snoring like a fairy tale monster, sleeping in its cave. His belly filled with a hefty snort of air, only to be whistled out through a high-pitched wheeze. His belly was too plump for his vest, and he couldn't button the middle button. Like the rest of the building's occupants, he was drunk beyond a pulse. And sitting next to him was a large jug of moonshine, polluting the air around it with the smell of the sloppiest of poisons. I walked past him as quietly as I could to the door hinged to the wall directly behind him. Turning the knob to find it was locked, I circled back to the sleeping man. I was determined to find the key. Looking around the desk, I saw nothing. I took a deep breath for composure and focus. As I leaned into the drunkard's space, his scent burned through my nostrils, giving me a dizzy buzz. Whatever he had been drinking couldn't be legal. Moving past his stomach, rise and fall, I reached to the drawer. I strained to not bump the old man, fearing he'd alert the doctor. Sweat rolled from under my sleeves and down my fingers. I could feel my pulse beating in the palm of my hand as I extended my arm, my bones pulling my skin to its limit, almost tearing my flesh open around my muscles. Slowly sliding the drawer open, I bit my tongue. Holding still my instinct to scream, I stood back. The drawer was full of spiders. One big mama standing guard outside her nest of little gangly babies, a black bulbous body chasing down to a sharp, beady head covered in eyes and twitching fangs like little wet hungry claws. Along with the spider there were several papers, a few pens, and a flask. Everything was splattered with little drops of dry blood. Taking a second glance at the sleeping beauty, I noticed his hands. Along with the ink stains, they were covered in spider bites. This was when I saw the key dangling in the tiny forest of white chest hair that blossomed from under his tight vest. 
Moving closer to see where the necklace latched, I tried to quiet my heartbeat so it wouldn't wake him. It was all I could hear throbbing in my head, the dreaded beat of my fear. Only it wasn't coming through as the usual, the thud, the thud, the thud. Instead, all I heard was, Kung Pao, take out, Kung Pao. Keeping my hand steady, I lifted his beard, finding the latch off to his left collarbone. I gently lifted the chain, and the man exhaled an unbreathable toxic wind down my throat. I fell back, fighting a suffering need to cough. The fumes from his breath had burnt my eyes shut, my legs sloshed out of socket, my knees melting into rubber, feet like water balloons. It took me a moment to collect my senses. I returned to the old man feeling slightly intoxicated. Holding my breath, I lifted his beard, flicked away a little gangly spider baby and reached for the chain. My sweaty fingers slipped about the latch. Hardening my focus on the tiny copper lever, I was growing frustrated with my slippery fingers. I couldn't get a grip. The man snarled himself awake with a frightening snort, his eyes wide open staring into mine as he breathed in and out through his nose with these disheartening and confused bursts. I stumbled backwards, pulling out the revolver and stuffing it into his face. We looked at each other. Nothing was said. His eyes rolled back along with his head and he fell fast asleep. His jaw dropped back into place and he commenced with his heinous snore. My heart took a minute to start back up. Kung Pao, take out Kung Pao. Stuffing the gun into my belt, I yanked the chain from the drunk's neck and removed the key. Standing up, I took a breath that didn't go so well. I started to topple over with a powerful head rush, sprinkling a strained sensation around my spine, bubbling up through my brain as champagne fizz filled my eyes with a lopsided lightness. I was drunk from the fumes of the strange little wizard's aura. Drunk drunk. Wobbling to the door, I quietly turned the key, turned the knob, and stepped inside to find darkness. Feeling around the wall for a switch, I flicked the light on to find I was in a tiny closet filled with dusty catalogs and jugs of moonshine. The sound of my heart shifted to a furious, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. It was a dead end. For a second, I felt like crying. But I knew it wasn't yet time to baby up in a corner and wait for death. I had to stay strong. Had to eat. Surely, I thought Pete would be generous enough to see past the money and allow me at least a bite after hearing my ordeal. Even if he didn't believe my story, he might give me a taste for the sheer admiration of my imagination. What was I thinking? I would eat first and tell stories later. I would not give him the air to prolong my hunger. To withhold my takeout prize, I would push the world aside and devour it. I would tell Pete to fuck off. Hope and the smallest light was all I needed to keep my head up. Chinese takeout was more than worth this trouble. That, and my life. I most certainly wanted to continue. My life. To eat beyond this night. Reaching back for the light, I realized too late. There were three switches, and the floor disappeared from under me as I flicked the wrong one. Why I felt the need to turn the light off on my way out is beyond me force of habit, I suppose, and usually a good one to have with electric bills being what they are. 
Not so much with trapdoors being what they are. The switch flicked, the floor went away, and I began my descent into more darkness. Too afraid to scream, I fell silent to the wind rushing past my ears. It was a literal whoosh, nothing like the metaphorical whooshing I began this tale with. Our narrator has fallen into a trap door. I wonder where they will land. I'd imagine nowhere close to their Chinese food. Until our next chapter, farewell.